Good morning, everyone. Take our Bibles. We'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 this morning. 2 Corinthians 11. It's good to be here. Uh, the boys and I were at a retreat over the weekend. I was speaking for Friday and Saturday multiple times um, in Ohio. It was Camp Penile, or I guess they call it Penile Bible Camp. Um, I attended Penile Bible Camp when I was in the sixth grade. Went back as a counselor my junior and senior years of high school and again my freshman year of college and hadn't been back since. So you take 97 till today, about 25 years since I'd been back at camp. And a friend of mine has been running the camp now for 20 years that I knew from my days in Ohio. So going back was, it was really good. It was exciting. Um, of course, I packed like I would normally pack, not thinking about where I was going or what I was doing. And, and we, pull, we pull into camp, and I look at the boys, and I said, I think we're in trouble. Because there was about 91 guys there, and as Kate said, Dad, I think we're on the set of Duck Dynasty. Um, all of them were in camo or fishing gear and some awesome beards, and we were in um, dress shoes and, and khaki pants, and there was mud and stuff everywhere. And one of the boys is like, why did you wear those shoes? Some random kid, and I'm like, I don't know. Um, but we end up having a great time, and so there were 91 there. There were 25, 28, 5 to 12-year-old boys, and, and just the little guys, which I loved and loved um, speaking to them and the dads, and, and God just used the, the weekend, and it was fun catching up with friends, and one guy I went to, and uh, his beard was at least down to here. I introduced myself, and he's like, we were in a cabin together when we were in the sixth grade. I'm like, well, you didn't have that beard when we were in the sixth grade. Um, and, but his dad was, I said, your dad was the principal of Mentor Christian. He's like, still is, so we got to catch up. So Christian schools in Ohio are getting ready to turn upside down like Christian schools in West Virginia. Except in West Virginia with Hope Scholarship, you know, the government's playing games with us. But there, there's no games. Every single parent, um, every single student is, um, next year looks like they're going to get about $5,000 uh, per child to, to utilize for Christian education. And so a lot of those pastors I was talking to and asking how their schools were going, they were all were saying that, you know, things are about ready to change drastically. And for the first time in, you know, 30 years, our teachers are going to make what public school teachers make. And they were very excited and excited about what God has in store. So it was encouraging for me uh, just to hear from those ministries, places that I used to go. Talked to one man, um, he's a deacon at a school up in the northwest side of Ohio. And I was asking him how the ministry was, and he showed me a picture. And last week, a tornado went through and ripped off the whole roof of their elementary building. And the tornado, the church was here, the high school was here, and the elementary building was here. And it just kind of left the church and the high school alone and just kind of ripped. I mean, it just rolled the, the roof of that building right off. And so it was just um, interesting as we were there and, and hearing for those stories and talking to those guys. So we're in 2 Corinthians. We're getting ready to finish up 2 Corinthians. And as we finish up 2 Corinthians, we're going to start a series called There Was No King. And we're going to jump into the book of Judges. So we'll probably end up with a nine-week series through the summer in the book of Judges. And Judges is pretty raw. Judges is pretty real. We haven't been in the Old Testament for a while. And I'm looking forward to getting in the narrative and looking at some of the judges and seeing um, their lives and how God can work in spite of dark, dark days. But before we get there, we've got to catch up here in 2 Corinthians and we've got to look at our passages even this morning. And if you remember back 9 and 10, 8 and 9, we were talking about giving 
and, and giving of the, what God has blessed us with, and we were talking about what it means to give biblically. And now Paul is kind of transformed into from giving there to giving of ourselves. And look at, look at chapter 11 and verse 22. We'll start there. Are they not Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? Remember, who's, who are they? Okay, we're going back to what we talked about last week, these super apostles. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. Okay, what qualifies Paul as a minister? What makes him the minister of the gospel, the grace of God? Not his credentials, not his degrees, not his background. His stripes, his labors. Okay, in prisons more frequent and deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day have I been in the deep. In the journeys often in perils of waters, in perils of uh, robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in turmoils or perils by the heathen, in turmoils in the city, turmoils in the wilderness, turmoils in the sea, turmoils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness and watchings and hunger and thirst and fastings and cold and nakedness. And beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is offended? Am I not burned? Okay? Paul was one of the mighty soldiers, if you will, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Paul wrote half of our New Testament. Paul planted numbers and numbers of churches. And so here is one of the greatest men in all of the New Testament. And what is his testimony? Man, his testimony is not all roses, right? As you read this, this is rough. Okay, these are trials. And, he, and he's writing these, this letter just in light of the closed doors and the light of the, the trouble that he's getting from these false teachers. And, and he's trying to make ends meet and he's sharing his testimony. We'll talk about this boasting that goes on next week. And do I boast? Am I glorying? And all this that's happening. But, but as he, he lists all this, it's interesting, okay, that Paul doesn't ask the one question I think we all could ask, and that is why. You know, why does God allow us to suffer? Why, why does God allow us to hit roadblocks? You know, we, we could say it this way. Um, why does God close doors in our lives? And, and how many of us have asked ourselves this question? What am I doing here? You say, Treg, I'm in Morgantown, West Virginia. Why wouldn't I ask myself that question? But no, seriously, what am I doing here? What, what am I doing here right now? Why, why does God have me here? You know, we have many, many young people in our ministry that are gonna be graduating. Um, from a high school side, I think, Cammie, how many seniors are here at seven, eight, nine, maybe? I don't know, David, did you count? Do you know? How many seniors? About seven, okay. So we have... Actually, it's six girls and Nate, right? Six girls and Nate. Uh, seven, what? And Wade, that's right, and Wade. So, yeah, six, seven. We got more, yeah. Okay, good. Um, these guys, they're graduating. They've been together for a long time. You know, those girls have been together, a lot of them, since kindergarten. And they're about to face something they've never faced before. And they can ask themselves a the question, what am I 
doing here? Nate's going to be heading off to Pensacola here in June, Nate. And he's going to go down. He's going to be working down there. And I'm sure there's going to be days that Nate's going to look around and say, what am I doing here? And if he calls me and asks me, I'll say, Nate, walk outside, look at the palm tree and ask yourself that again. <laughs> um, but we ask ourselves these questions. We have a number of seniors leaving Cross Impact and, and here in the church. And they're going to graduate. They're going to go off. And a lot of times they're going to be in a, a, a place that they're going to ask themselves, what am I doing here? It was October of 2013, August of 2013. And God had opened up the doors for me to make my missions trip to Africa. And I was excited, planned and prepared. The ultimate plan was for me to land in South Africa, spend two days uh, with a missionary there, Mike Brunk. Uh, I didn't know Mike, but he was going to pick me up. I was going to preach for him on Sunday. And then Monday morning, I was going to get on a plane and fly up to Zimbabwe. And I was going to be in Zimbabwe for six days. And I was going to be teaching national pastors the book of Revelation. And we were going to travel from place to place to hide uh, from the leader at that time, Mugabe, who would not want me there. And so we we're going to travel around and I was going to teach those pastors, about 30 pastors. And so Sunday I'm preaching and Sunday night I'm preaching and time after time, people in the church there in Johannesburg were saying, don't go to Zimbabwe. Don't go to Zimbabwe. Now, why wouldn't I go to Zimbabwe? I'm like, look, God has orchestrated this. Um, I've raised the money. People have sponsored this trip. It was funny and just a side note, everybody sponsored the trip but my home church that I was a pastor in and... I was sitting in a board meeting and the deacons brought up that they should send me to Africa and the pastor said, no way. If we're gonna take $2,000 and send trade, I'd rather just send it to the pastor that's there. Okay, um, but anyway, that's just a side note. I made it uh, despite not help from our, our home church. But the whole point of the trip was for me to go to Zimbabwe. And I'm not gonna say, no, nah, okay guys, thanks, but no thanks. No, I was gonna go. So that morning, Mike takes me in to the, the airport there in Johannesburg, and we're having coffee, and I want to do something special for the missionary in Zimbabwe. Things were tough. They were getting ready to go through an election, and so I bought this huge cheesecake um, from the coffee shop we were in, and I'm carrying it, and I've got my backpack, and, and I'm, I'm headed to the gate. And when I'm heading to the gate in this airport, and the announcement came over, and I'm, I'm two hours early, you know, such and such flight to Zimbabwe is preparing for takeoff. Please come to the gate. And I thought, what is going on? So I take off running. So here I am with this big old cheesecake, running as fast as I could, and this cheesecake is going everywhere to try to get to my gate. So I get to the gate. Again, I've got an hour and 45 minutes before takeoff, and I'm sitting there, and I'm sitting there, and I'm sitting there, and there's no worker, there's no plane, there's no anything. Finally, I go across the way and I ask a lady, hey, um, I'm supposed to be boarding this plane in like 30 minutes and I don't see a plane and I don't see anyone, what's going on? And she says, sir, that plane left an hour ago or two hours ago, whatever it was. And I said, but it's not supposed to leave for another 30 minutes. She's like, well, they had their passengers and they left. And so here I am for weeks and weeks and months preparing for a trip to Zimbabwe and God shut that door. So when's the next flight to Zimbabwe? What's well, not going to be for another couple of days? 
I don't know anyone in Johannesburg. I've only known this missionary for about 24 hours. He dropped me off. I don't have a phone number. I have no idea where I am. I'm in this huge airport. I'm supposed to be going to Zimbabwe and now I can't. And I'm thinking, God, what is going on? What am I doing here? So it's about three o'clock in the morning here in the States and I call Carrie and call Carrie. She wakes up and I'm like, look, you've got to get a hold of, of the mission board of the missionary that I was just with and see if they can get a hold of that missionary and let him know what happened and see if he can come pick me up. Tell him I'll just be sitting outside of the airport waiting for him to come. And so she waits for another about four hours at seven. She calls the mission board. The mission board calls the missionary. And this whole time, I'm just sitting outside on the sidewalk thinking, you know, what am I doing here? I'm supposed to be six days in Zimbabwe before I go to Cape Town. And what am I going to do? I'm just going to sit around here. Um, what's, what is God going to doing with me? And what am I going to tell the people that sponsored this trip? Uh, thank you for sending me to Zimbabwe. I just spent the last five days hanging out in Johannesburg. And when we look around in life and, and we see ourselves in these places, we ask ourselves that same question, what am I doing here? I talked to a man this weekend and he came to me and said, man, I really needed that today. He said, you know, I was in the ministry um, in Ohio and then God led me to a ministry down south and he's like I was only there a, a short period of time and what the church promised was not what I was offered and he's like I had to leave and come home and right now I don't know what I'm going to do and I have no idea why God has me where I am and Paul as he gives his testimony and you think about these times that he's going through, you can't help but wonder if Paul was thinking, God, what are you doing? Why am I here? And I wanna look at one of those stories as we think about this. And I want you to go back to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15. And, and see this taking place in Paul's life. And, and it's the story, and you remember this great contention that came between Paul and Barnabas. And here's the dynamic duo. And, and things aren't going so well. Barnabas wants to take John Mark. Paul says, no, I don't like sitting around. I don't like hanging out. I don't like babysitting. We're not taking John Mark. And Barnabas says, I want to take John Mark. Verse 38, and Paul thought it's not good to take John Mark, who departed from them earlier. And the contention, look at this, 39, was so sharp between them that they departed asunder, one from the other, Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus and Paul chose Silas and departed being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Sicily uh, confronting, confirming the churches. Paul, with this man that he's traveled with for months and months and planted these churches in his first journey, now they're gone. And you can't help but think, okay, Paul's thinking, God, what are you doing? What is happening? What is transpiring? And then you keep reading, they came to Derby and Lystra, 16.1, and there was a disciple there named Timothy, okay? And Paul would have him go with them. So they took Timothy along with them, and they went through the cities in verse 4. They established churches in verse 5. They increased in number daily, these churches. And now verse 6, they had gone through uh, Phrygia, the Galatia, and as they're moving forward, and everything's going great, and they got this whole head of steam, boom, 
the plane had departed. Paul's just rushing ahead. He wants to go north to Bithynia, and God says, no. He closes the door. He wants to go northeast to Mysia. No, God suffered them not. And so here is Paul, and here is Silas. He's never had this before. It's never happened before. They're continuing on, and, and he's told Timothy and Silas, this is what's going to happen. We've seen people out to the churches, and everything's awesome. And boom, God slams the door. How do we glory in the midst of shut doors? How, how do we glory when God puts us somewhere where we think, what am I doing here? Well, the first thing that I see and the first thing that, that we need to remember as we go through this is, number one, God has a plan. No matter where we are and no matter what we are going through, we've got to remember that God has a plan. Okay, he has saved you, he has called you, and he has gifted you, and he has put you where you are for a purpose. And God is going to use you, and God is going to use you in spite of what's going on, because he has this plan. There is nothing in our lives that's not been orchestrated by the hand of God. And I look at our church, and, and it's just amazing as I look in the number of people that have landed at Faith Baptist Church and from whence they came. You know, we have people here from Africa, <laughs> right? Um, we have people here, yeah, three that's come from Africa. We have people that have moved here from New York. We have students from all over the United States that have landed at Faith Baptist Church. We've got a family coming in this summer from California. We've got retired pastors and missionaries here. And, and of all things, why has God brought them to Faith Baptist Church? Why has God brought them to Morgantown? He's done it because he has a plan. Why am I here? Because God has a plan. You know, no Barnabas, no John Mark, no problem. God had a plan. What was God's plan? Yes, it was Silas. But God's plan in this great split of Paul and Barnabas, I think, is right here in 16.1. That had to happen, and that great conflict had to arise, and the, the rumors that were going around about this dynamic duo separating transpired because if they had John Mark with them, there was no way they were going to bring on somebody else. John Mark was going to be enough homework. We don't need another intern. But because there was no intern, because there was John, no John Mark, they meet this certain disciple, just a certain disciple, just someone by the name of Timothy. And in God's plan, they come across Timothy, and we all know what happens. Timothy becomes the pastor of Ephesus. We now have First and Second Timothy. We have a, a man after God's own heart. We have no one like this man, Paul says, that can continue on in the things that I've taught him. He's a son of the faith to me. And God used all that to bring Timothy his way. You know, even going back to the Old Testament, think about Joseph. Here's Joseph, and he's trying to make the best of his situation in Potiphar's house, and, and he's thrown into a prison. And as he's looking around at these prison walls, and he's looking around at this gate in front of him, and as he's bound there in this prison, 
you have to think that Joseph's saying to himself, what am I doing here? But yet, because we know the end of the story, we know God had a plan. So even in the midst of, of difficult circumstances, God has a plan. So when I find myself here and I'm asking myself the question, what am I doing here? Okay, so God's got a plan, so now what? I need to continue to serve. Okay, I can't just stop. I can't just sulk. I can't just think, man, I'm not going to do anything. I quit. Um, the disciples, after Jesus had died on the cross, they were up in the upper room, and what are we doing? <coughs> what am I doing here? They were hiding. They were not serving. They were not going on with what God had called them to do. And we find ourselves in these situations, we, we start to second guess God. All right, Lord, was this even your will? All right, God, was this even your plan? As I'm sitting there and, and thinking over all this, as I'm sitting on the curb in Africa, I'm like going through all these things in my mind. Did I make this trip happen? And was this not what God wanted? And and why am I here? And, and have I made a mistake? And, and, and what's going on? And, and we do that. We second guess ourselves and, and we second guess God. Paul, he's here and, and he's trying to go to Mysia and God forbids him. And he goes to Bithynia and, and the spirit suffers him not. And so what's Paul do? Does he just quit? Just pack up his bags and go home? Forget it. We're not doing this anymore. No. Okay, he keeps going. Verse eight, then they passed to Mysia and then they came down to Troas. He keeps the wheels turning. Okay, he keeps going. So bringing it then home, let's say that, you know, things have changed in the workplace and I'm working for this company and we just got bought out. And I, I love this job. I love where God had me. I, I loved what was going on. And now that we have this new boss and now that things have changed and now this new company has come in, I don't enjoy work anymore. I hate it. So what do we do? Well, I don't like this job. I'm going to leave it one day. I'm not going to stay here. So I'm going to do as little as possible for this company. You know, we've seen it uh, being in Christian ministry, Christian education for what, 20, however many years now, 23 years I've seen it over and over where a teacher will come to us in January, February and say, hey, look, I've got this opportunity. Um, I'll finish out the year, but next year I'm going to be leaving and going somewhere else. And Jeremy and I, we know this because we have this conversation. We already make the statement they've already checked out. Because now my brain is no longer, you know, in, in Greensboro, North Carolina. And now my brain is thinking about you know, this opportunity I have in Florida. And I'm just going through the motions. I'm, I'm just barely doing enough. Um, I'm, I'm barely working with the kids. I'm barely teaching them because I'm done here. God shut the doors here. I can't wait to this next place where God has me. No, okay, that shouldn't be our attitude as Christians. If we don't know why we're here, and it seems like God has shut the door for me here, I've got to continue to serve. Joseph's in this prison. He's looking around thinking, God, what is going on? I know you got a plan, but why am I here? And the Bible says Joseph began to serve. And before you know it, he becomes like second in command in the whole prison. 
Why? Because despite where he was, he was going to make the most of it and he was going to serve the Lord right there. He continued to serve. As we do this, then number three, we've got to see God's hand in this holding pattern. Okay, God's got me here, if you will. God's called a timeout in my life, if you will. God's placed me here for a reason. Think about Job. Job's life went on hold. Here was a man that, that was known in the city. Here was a man that walked around and kids would ooh and ah at this great businessman, this man of wealth, this great farmer. Everything he touched prospered. Job was doing everything right and then boom, God just shuts the door. And God puts him in this place of suffering and he's thinking, what am I doing here? Becoming the pastor of Faith Baptist Church in, in 2016 and then in, in, in the fall of 2017, boom, I'm in a hospital bed and then I'm in recovery after this heart attack. And, and I'm going from running 20 miles, 17 miles was an easy run, to walking a half a mile and going down on my hands and knees trying to catch my breath, wondering what in the world is going on. We're going forward in ministry and we're going forward for the Lord and, and everything seems good and boom, God closes a door. And we look around and we say, God, what are you doing? But here's the thing, God knows exactly what he's doing. God is working even in the midst of these circumstances. God is working even in the midst of chemo and radiation. God is working even in the midst of recovery. God is working even in the midst of the sickness and illness. God is working even in the midst of a boss change and things going bad. God is still at work. And so in, in, in this time that I'm in, I need to see God's holding pattern despite being shipwrecked, despite being left out in the cold, despite having nothing, despite being beaten, Paul had to realize that God is still at work. And I've got to trust the fact that God is doing exactly what he set out to do. And then finally, number four, as we look at this, we've got to understand that God is preparing our way. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not in thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and God will direct your path. It was November 2012. And my journal says, here we go again. What in the world, God, am I doing here? Sitting in Africa. The missionary comes and gets me. He knows I'm going to be bummed, which I was, and discouraged and depressed. And so he picks me up. He and his wife pick me up, and they take me to a safari. Now, that'd take your mind off your circumstances pretty quickly. And so we went to this wildlife safari, and it was awesome. Uh, they said in all the years they'd been going, they'd never seen every single animal in the safari, and we got to see all of them. Um, even um, had to put our foot on the gas pedal pretty quickly as a rhino was trying to come really close to the little car we were driving through in. And I got back that night and I'm laying on a mattress on the floor in the missionary's house. And as I'm laying there, I wake up in the middle of the night and I just feel oppressed, whether demonic oppression or not, I don't know. And, and I reach up and I don't move. I can't move. I'm just stuck. And I reach up and I grab the Bible off the counter because I, again, I don't know if I'm, Satan's coming after me. I don't know what's happening, but I can't move. I reach up, I get it and, and I go and I just take my Bible and I go like this. Okay, this is Isaiah 20, but what I open to is Isaiah 61. 
And as I open up my Bible and it just falls open to Isaiah 61, I begin to read. And the Bible says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. I go, okay. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them which are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of God to comfort all that mourn. And just reading that verse, okay, I knew, all right, God's got a plan and God's got a purpose because the spirit of God has been upon me and he has anointed me to preach. I just don't know how this is gonna transpire yet. In the light of the circumstances I was under, I just grabbed the Bible and I slept with it that night on my chest. So, okay, Lord, you've got a plan, you've got a purpose, you've got to do this. Man, there was a butler and there was a baker in the prison. And Joseph, you know, he interprets their dream and they go and he says, don't forget me, and they forget him. But they needed to forget him because God had to prepare the way for Joseph and it took two years for that to happen. There had to come a famine. This door had to be shut for Paul and Silas and Timothy because God was working in Macedonia and God was putting all the pieces of the puzzle together and then once it was done, the Macedonian call came. They packed their bags, they, they went to Macedonia, they land in this place in Philippi and because they land in Philippi, all of a sudden now we have the book of Philippians, long story short, and then they keep going and we have the book of Thessalonians, long story short, they keep going and because they kept going and because God opened this door for Macedonia, we're in this study in First and Second Corinthians right now. But God had to shut some doors and God had to make them look around and think, what am I doing here in order for that to happen? You know, Jesus pours the spirit of God upon the people in the early church and they start preaching and proclaiming the gospel. They all forgot that Jesus said, go ye therefore and teach all nations. And Stephen's persecuted. Persecution becomes, comes on the church. And, and for the last time, these disciples see each other, most of them all spread out because of the persecution that came upon the church. And they could look around and say, what is God doing? What is happening? Why is this persecution here? But man, if it wasn't for that persecution, the gospel wouldn't have went forth and Thomas wouldn't have jumped on a boat and landed in India and done amazing things in Southern India that even today you can go to. And, and most of Southern India is a Christian nation because of that. But what happens though, when God does open the door? And God says, okay, here's what you're gonna do and here's what's gonna transpire and here's what's gonna take place. But when he does it and these things open up, with that comes along this pain and suffering. You know, Paul gets this open door and, and man, this is so exciting and we're, we're going into Macedonia and, and they go into Macedonia and, and they, they land by the river and there's this girl, woman um, using all of her, her wealth okay, to make these garments in purple and they're meeting and they're worshiping God and they get saved and Lydia invites them into the home and they, they start a church in her home and everything seems great and then what happens, boom. They end up in prison and they're beaten for preaching the gospel. But yet God takes us through these things and these trials, we wonder what God is doing and God is using these things for our good and his glory, giving us a platform to minister for him. And next week we'll look at how Paul says, look, I'm boasting in this weakness and, and what God has done through me. And so back up to 2017, I can't even walk a half a mile without catching my breath. And, and why, why did God do all of that in my life? <coughs> well, 
I look now at the platform that God has used that. This weekend, when I just had the men, the kids were elsewhere, I shared my story of the heart attack and the Crohn's disease. I just shared my testimony and the boys told me yesterday, he said, dad, people were crying everywhere. And so God, what God did through me, giving me this platform, so now I'm preaching to all these men, okay, who were, like I said, these were men <laughs> and, and, and the firepower and everything they had, they brought with them to shoot on the range and, 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 and looking at them, again, with the kids, 28 of them, you know these guys were in their 30s and they're weeping because of me, no. Okay, but because of what God has allowed me to go through. I take my testimony to Pensacola, Florida and I preach it at Campus Church on a Wednesday night. Thursday morning, I'm sitting in the coffee shop early because of time change, I was up way early. And I'm just sitting there drinking coffee, going over my notes for the day. And there's about six older retired men drinking coffee. And one of them out of nowhere says, hey preacher, come here. Okay. And, and I walk over and he's like, share with all these guys what you shared in church last night. And I said, oh, were you at church last night? He's like, no, I saw it online and I want you to tell them what you said. I said, okay. And I share my story. And he's like, tell them this part and tell them that part. And, and I begin to share that with them. And I'm sharing that with them, especially one of the men that are sitting there. I'm just, I'm just watching tears come down his face. And he gets up and he, he leaves and he goes outside. I had, from what I could tell, he was not a believer and the spirit of God was working in his heart. Praise the Lord. You see, God is not gonna waste the circumstances he takes us through. God's not gonna waste those trials. God's not gonna waste those times in holding. God does not waste even those closed doors. But as we go through these things and God takes us through these things, it bolsters our boldness. You know, it's the, the persecution came and it's like the, the intensity of their preaching increased as, as Peter and James, they, they were, John were thrown into prison and said, we can't help but speak of the things which we've seen and heard. And, and it increased. And as God takes us through these things, it, it not only helps our platform to increase, it gives us a boldness in talking about things that we never normally would have been comfortable talking about. So as God is taking me through a hardship and I hear about somebody else going through it, man, I can jump on and help somebody else through that. And, you know, people coming up to my kids saying, look, I know what it's like to be a pastor's kid, been there, done that, and taking them under their wing because they've been there and they know what that is. So now, not only have an understanding and a platform, they have a boldness to come alongside and to help them through. Some of you have lost children early on or, or maybe unable to have kids or had kids that went astray and were able to come along somebody that's going through that. And now we, God has given us a platform because of that and a boldness because of that. And, and we're able to reach people that we've never been able to reach before or ever would wanted to reach before. So there's a plan. It increases our platform. It bolsters our boldness. But ultimately, God does all this to fulfill his will in us. Why am I here? Why am I going through this? Why am I facing this? It's to accomplish his will. See, it wasn't until I was home and I was going back and reading in my journal about the trip to Africa that I read about Isaiah 61. And Isaiah 61 talks about proclaiming the gospel. The spirit of God was upon me. And not only did God use me sitting there thinking, what in the world am I doing here? But because I knew this was God's will, God gave me a platform and God gave me a boldness 
like I've never had or I never would have had to accomplish his will. So Tuesday morning, another missionary in South Africa calls and says, I heard Treg didn't make it into um, Zimbabwe. And the missionary said, yeah, that's true. He's like, well, can I come and get him and take him with me today? He said, sure. He comes and gets me. He says, I've got a prison ministry to the largest prison in Johannesburg and you're coming with me. And I get to preach there. You've heard that story as I've told it before. Wednesday morning, another missionary says, hey, I've got devotions with all the teachers at a large university here in Johannesburg. You want to come and do the devotional with the teachers? I said, sure. So I went in on Wednesday and, and I do a devotional with the teachers in this school of thousands of kids, a university, but mainly upper high school kids. And, and that was Wednesday morning. Wednesday afternoon, the 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 superintendent that runs the whole school calls the missionary and said, hey, all of our teachers enjoyed that so much. We would like for your missionary to come back and address our whole student body on Friday morning. Thousand plus students that I was gonna be able to preach to. Thursday, I get a call and a very well-known author and the dean of the counseling seminary at MacArthur, John MacArthur School had retired, went to South Africa and started a, a seminary in South Africa, invited me to a cookout. And it was about six, seven South African pastors there in Pretoria. And we sat around the fire and they were just asking me questions and we were talking and I got to meet him who I'd have never got to meet in a million years and, and, and to minister to these guys that I'm still friends with on Facebook today and these pastors and then Friday, I get to preach to all these students, and then I get on a plane and leave, and I look back, and I think, wow. Here was a circumstance that I looked at, and I thought, there's, what am I doing here? God, what are you doing? And yes, I could have had the minute, opportunity to minister to 30 people for six days, but God said, no, I want you to minister to over 1,000 people in the next six days and share the gospel with this part of South Africa, Johannesburg, not Zimbabwe. So when we find ourselves in these situations, let me encourage you, don't lose hope. Man, God's got a plan and God's got a purpose. I know things might be tough. I know marriage might be tough. I know family might be tough. And I know kids might be tough. I know trying to find a job might be tough. Okay, leaving home and heading off to school is gonna be tough. But God's got a plan and God's got a purpose. And God has got you right where you are for a reason. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. And man, as we look at Paul, the things that you took him through, Lord, we look at and we think, why? But Lord, it's easy for us to see the end of the story, but it wasn't for him. And God, I pray that you will just take the circumstances that we are in and help us not to find discouragement in them, but hope of the plan and the purpose that you have for us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Stand together. We will sing just one verse of when I survey the wondrous.